Illinois' primary election is in the books, and Republican voters chose downstate state senator and farmer Darren Bailey to challenge progressive incumbent J.B. Pritzker. We'll talk about it more, including a one-on-one interview with Governor Pritzker on this edition of Capital Cast. There's a clear delineation between the ideologies and policies of Darren Bailey and J.B. Pritzker, perhaps best illustrated by the pair's numerous court battles regarding the level of executive authority Pritzker yielded throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. But it's visible on virtually every front, from the state's response to crime, to abortion rights, to the role of government in general. Bailey, now a state senator from downstate Xenia, said his journey into Illinois politics began in 2017 when Republican lawmakers in his district voted for a budget bill that increased state income taxes to the current rate of 4.95%. That was part of the package that put an end to a two-year state budget impasse under former Republican Governor Bruce Rauner, which proved devastating for many state services and which is still impacting many of the state's services today. Friends, if you'd asked me six years ago if I would ever run for state office, many of you already know what that answer would have been. It was a resounding no. I would have called you crazy. Absolutely not. I wasn't very fond of state politics, and I wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. I loved my quiet life on the farm, working with my hands, volunteering in my community, and spending time with my family. I never dreamed that I'd be running for state office. But on July 4th, 2017, that all changed. My state representative at the time started voting for tax increases on working families. I started to share the truth on Facebook. Thought it was kind of fun to start complaining that way, but look where it got me. (laughs) Be careful when you complain on Facebook. And many of you out here today, many of our friends began to encourage us to run. So my family and I prayed about it. And eventually I jumped into the race. We were outspent, but we were not outworked. And we won. While Bailey said tax increases spurred his run for office, it was the COVID-19 pandemic that first put him on the statewide radar. He grabbed notoriety in 2020 by filing lawsuits challenging the governor's authority to issue successive 30-day disaster declarations, an effort that produced limited success in Clay County Court before a Sangamon County appellate judge struck down the lower court's order and found the governor did have that authority. Bailey's lawyer in that case, Thomas DeVore of Downstate Sorrento, won the Republican nomination for Attorney General Tuesday, earning his party's nod to challenge incumbent Kwame Raoul the man who defended the governor's authority in the COVID-19 court cases. Amid the pandemic in May 2020, Bailey also grabbed headlines when he refused to wear a mask on the Illinois House floor, which was the Bank of Springfield Convention Center at the time, to allow for social distancing. His colleagues voted 81-27 to on bipartisan lines to remove him from the floor for the remainder of the day. He showed up the next day wearing a mask. In November 2020, Bailey earned election to the state Senate 
and the man who once drew an overwhelming rebuke from his House colleagues now sits atop the state's GOP in a rightward shift for the party which he now hopes to drive down ballot. Among the race for governor, he grabbed headlines while referring to Chicago as a crime-ridden, corrupt, dysfunctional hellhole, later standing by the statement and claiming that many of the city's residents appreciate the frank assessment. That's after he joined a group of six other Republicans in 2019 to co-sponsor a resolution, which never received a vote, that would have urged Congress to make the city of Chicago a separate state. He's since referred to the resolution as a warning shot meant to show his displeasure with the policies in Chicago, and he said he no longer favors separating the city from the state. The state's largest city and economic engine was the subject of banter in each of the major party candidates' election night speeches. The voices of working families, parents, taxpayers, law enforcement, and everyday citizens. Voices from the farms, the suburbs, the city of Chicago, <laughs> and every place in between. Let's hear it up for Chicago tonight. We got anybody here? Uh-huh. Right there's how it's going in Chicago. God bless you. Wow. Thank you. This is awesome. <laughs> oh, tonight our movement sent a clear message to the establishment and the political elites. We will not be ignored. And yes, Darren Bailey, you have to love Chicago. with its deep dish and Italian beef, with the Cubs and the Sox, with the, with the summers that make you forget the winters, and the, and the people who remind you every day of the promise this country was founded upon. And if you don't love all the many and varied regions of Illinois, you won't stand up and fight for it. Politicians time and again have tried to divide Illinoisans for political advantage. Too many have been willing to pit one region against another to try to win an election. It's a cheap play that takes little effort. Illinois shouldn't be gamed. Its people are not to be sacrificed for electoral cycles. To take aim at one part of Illinois is to target all Illinoisans. And if you want to be the governor of Illinois, you have to love all 13 million of the people that live here, regardless of how they vote. Despite the hellhole comment, Bailey took the party's top spot with 57% of the vote, including 48% in Cook County, handily beating the establishment pick, Aurora Mayor Richard Irvin who garnered just 15% of the vote in coming in third place. Irvin, who received $50 million from Ken Griffin, a Republican megadonor and founder of the hedge fund Citadel, had run a tough-on-crime campaign that ultimately fell flat with voters. Griffin has since announced he's moving Citadel to Florida. In a fiery concession speech Tuesday night, Irvin wished Bailey well, and later said the Republican Party must be a party of policies, not personalities. But he also shifted blame for his loss to the governor. You know, our background, our record, and our message were so compelling, so overwhelmingly likely to prevail in November. J.B. Prisker and the Democratic Party spent the most amount of money in the history 
of the in the history of the democracy, meddling in a Republican primary to take us down. Tonight, tonight, J.B. Prisker won the Republican primary for governor here in Illinois. He spent a historic amount of money to choose his own Republican opponent in the general election. And listen, I wish Darren Bailey well as he moves on to the general election. I wish him well. Irvin makes those claims because his campaign pegged the anti-Irvin or backdoor pro-Bailey advertising from Pritzker, the Democratic Governors Association, and the Democratic Party of Illinois at about $36 million. It's a campaign that drew national attention by setting a new standard for one party spending to influence the primary results of the other. But as you'll hear shortly in my interview with the governor, he downplayed his spending's role in that election, noting the broad majorities and the fact that Bailey had received the endorsement of President Donald Trump. That's something the governor views as a window for attack in the general election in a state where Trump lost handily in 2020. Before I play my interview with the governor, here's one more clip each from Bailey and Pritzker's election night speeches, which clearly foreshadow some themes that you'll hear throughout the remainder of this election. Pritzker doesn't understand how skyrocketing gas prices and soaring food prices make everyday life harder for Illinois families like you and I. He doesn't understand how his and Joe Biden's extreme national agenda helps fuel inflation and increases utility bills for families like us across Illinois. He doesn't understand the damage that his lockdowns did to small businesses, schools, mental health, and working families all across this state. He doesn't understand that his war on police has fueled the war on our streets, making our neighborhoods dangerous all across this state. The people of Illinois elected me because they were ready to turn the page on the past. And I owe them nothing less than an unrelenting fight for the future. A few days ago, Donald Trump came to our state. And he did what he does best, spew bile on the ground and hope that it takes root in our soil. And proudly standing by his side was the Republican nominee for governor of Illinois, Darren Bailey. Let me be clear. Someone who seeks out and accepts the endorsement of a racist, misogynistic, homophobic, xenophobic, twice impeached former president does not deserve to come anywhere near this state's highest office. Darren Bailey cannot side with the insurrectionists at the Capitol, assert that the 2020 election was stolen, and say that women and their doctors should be jailed for having an abortion, even in cases of rape and incest, and expect to be handed the keys to the governor's office. Not in Illinois. So a couple of the themes you heard there are inflation, crime, pandemic response, abortion, and Trumpism. They're all going to play a big role in the election for the next five months. 
So I touched on all of them in my interview with Governor Pritzker, which was part of a statewide blitz to get his re-election message out as the general election campaign kicks into high gear. We kick it off with a question about his spending in the state's Republican primary. Primary election just ended. Uh, everyone has asked this question, but you gave a lot of money. DGA, between you and DGA, sort of influencing the things towards Darren Bailey. If he's extreme and dangerous as you say he is, do you have any qualms or worries that you've sort of aided in him getting a statewide platform for the next five months? No, he won 57% of the Republican votes in that primary. Um, and my message is a general election message against all of the Republicans. Um, you know, we had messages about the uh, candidate who was talking about corruption in Illinois when he himself was involved in corruption. Uh, we had messages about the candidate who is truly extreme on every issue, including choice. Uh, and, um, and, you know, we're, we're fighting the Republicans. This is about Democrats beating Republicans. The morning of my interview with the governor, he was in Chicago touting his family relief plan, a $1.8 billion tax relief plan approved by lawmakers in the budget this year to take aim at some of the effects of inflation on the economy while the state had a surplus in its revenues. That plan included a tax rebate amounting to $50 per individual making less than $200,000 annually, or $100 for a couple earning $400,000 or less annually, plus $100 per child dependent, up to three. It also included a suspension on the 1% sales tax on groceries through June of next year, a six-month delay in a 2.2 cent increase to the gas tax, a sales tax holiday from August 5th to 14th on back-to-school items, and an additional property tax rebate of up to $300 for homeowners who are eligible to claim the property tax credit on their 2021 state tax returns. The package also permanently increased the earned income tax credit to 20% of the federal credit and allowed non-citizens to take advantage of that credit as well. So I know you mentioned your family relief plan at an event this morning in Chicago. I think that's $1.8 in relief. You'll know the numbers better than I, but something. Do you fear that even with something like that on the books, that this election could come down to... Uh, voters seeing their gas bill, seeing their grocery bill, and thinking, you know, we got Democrats in the White House, Democrats in Illinois, it's time for something different, no matter where they stand on Trump or abortion? Look, let's start with the fact that our job as elected officials is to alleviate the challenges that people face across the state, whatever they may be. And I've been doing that since day one in office. You know, we when I came into office, we were facing fiscal challenges in the state that were brought on by the Republicans before me. And we've overcome many of those challenges. Um, then we saw a pandemic, a deadly global pandemic, and uh, worked hard, uh, significant leadership to save lives across the state. And, uh, very importantly, to bring back our economy after the global pandemic had really devastated a lot of things. Um, and we did that, uh, we Democrats. Um, now we're seeing global inflation and it has an effect on Illinois, of course. Uh, and so our job is to uh, help people through that. $1.8 billion of tax relief is an important start in that. 
being able to eliminate, not freeze, but eliminate the grocery tax for a year, being able to freeze the gas tax, being able to send hundreds of dollars to, directly to families, and to double the amount of property tax rebate that people can get now up to $600, not to mention the earned income tax credit, which helps the really struggling families across the state of Illinois. Those are all things that we Democrats did. Uh, and we're able to do because Democrats balanced the budget. Democrats eliminated the bill backlog. Democrats got uh, credit upgrades for the state. Um, you can't do any of those uh, items of tax relief if you don't have the dollars to do it. And we had surpluses. And what did we do? We provided relief to working families. So, And we're going to look to do that going forward, I might add. If you keep on the path that Democrats have set, that I've set, balancing budgets and having surpluses, we can do much more. In the wake of a recent Supreme Court decision to overturn the landmark Roe v. Wade reproductive health care case, the governor announced recently that he was going to call a special session on abortion rights. I asked if there was anything else that would be considered when lawmakers returned to Springfield. We're focusing that special session on securing women's rights and women's access to their rights. Okay. And what will that look like? Is there any specific policies you're going to uh, try to advocate for? Yep, we're listening to people who have good ideas for us to consider during that special session. Again, this is about securing access, making sure we have capacity to handle the needs of people to get procedures. Uh, we need uh, uh, hospital personnel, healthcare personnel. Um, other states, for example, allow certain kinds of professionals to perform these procedures that Illinois doesn't allow. So we're going to look at expanding who can do the procedures. Um, there's a lot that we're going to consider during that session, but it really is focused on securing women's rights. Any state-sponsored aid for out-of-state uh, travel for abortions in Illinois? No. Okay. Um, so then anything... Uh, on your second term agenda, specifics that you maybe could jumpstart in a veto session or anything? Or I guess, what are the main things on your uh, term two agenda? You don't think I've made it clear what it is I stand for? Let me be clear. Um, so, you know, in, in, let's just talk, Jerry, about the, the big things uh, that I've done and that we're going to continue to do. Let's, I said just a moment ago, but I want to emphasize, we've got to continue to balance the budget. We've got to continue to pay our bills, make sure we're bringing down our pension liability, whatever it is to make us more fiscally strong in the state. That is what we need to do. So that's the first thing. Second is, it's very important for us to continue to invest in education. I already increased, for example, the scholarships available to kids by 50%. I say kids, anybody that wants to go to college, whether it's vocational training in community colleges, for example, or going to a four-year university, we increased that by 50%. Everybody that applies for a scholarship that's eligible gets one. That's pretty amazing because it used to be we ran out of money and you were out of luck at that point, right? At some point in the year, we'd run out of money for scholarships. Now, the 155,000 people that applied, all getting scholarships. That's a big development, and it means more kids and more people will be able to go to college and get the skills that they need. Um, early childhood, that's something we've been investing in for four years, but need to continue to do. And I want to add to that that uh, child 
uh, care is hugely important. We've expanded that. I increased the eligibility up to 225% of poverty level, and I want to take that all the way up to 300% on a sliding scale. So people who make up to $60,000 a year, for example, will be able to get child care that they haven't been able to get before. So these are just some of the things that we want to accomplish in a second term. Um, but I think that uh, looking back at my first term in office gives you an idea that we're going to get more big things done and they're going to be about lifting up working families. So on the subject of finance, is there any concern that as nor uh, revenues perform a little more normally in some of the weird spikes that we've seen with pandemic aid and more money in the economy uh, due to stimulus, as that goes back to normal, you're going to have to scale back some of the things you've done? No. We wrote that into the budget. That is a, a decrease in revenue just in this coming year um, off of, you know, what were significant years, the last, actually the last year. Um, and so we took that into account when we passed the budget, this last budget for 2023. Um, so we understand that there were some temporary nature of revenues that were coming in. Also, we took the federal dollars and we didn't put them into ongoing programs. I insisted on making sure that we were focused on things that were recovery from the pandemic, one-time expenditures or, you know, over the next year or two uh, expenditures to make sure that we're dealing with the challenges that were left to us as a result of the pandemic. Another issue that will play prominently in the general election is crime. Republicans have frequently criticized the Safety Act criminal justice reform, a wide-ranging bill which will eliminate cash bail in Illinois beginning in January. The state's courts are working on ensuring a smooth implementation of that bill, known as the Pretrial Fairness Act, ahead of the new year. But I asked the governor if he believed there were any legislative fixes needed. So another issue... Um, crime-related, something your opponents are going to try to hit you on, the Safety Act, uh, and especially the Pretrial Fairness Act, which, we, you know, hasn't taken effect, but January 1st. The courts seem to be working on that, but is there anything that the legislature needs to do to, uh, with that timeline or any smoothing, any further trailer bills uh, regarding pretrial fairness? I want to step back a little bit and just give you a frame for this. Over the last uh, three and a half years since I became governor, I've invested in public safety, starting with reversing the damage that Bruce Rauner did to the Illinois State Police. So we've hired hundreds of new state police. We've put more money into local police departments, into youth job programs, into violence intervention programs. You remember that those programs were decimated under Bruce Rauner. So that is an enormous uh, improvement for public safety. And then add to that that uh, we're making sure that we're providing expressway cameras and that we're doubling patrols on expressways. Uh, these are all things that at the state level that we're doing. Oh, by the way, Republicans voted against almost all of that. We also built new uh, crime labs and we eliminated the rape kit backlog and are eliminating all of the DNA backlog that the state was left to us by Bruce Rauner. 
So, uh, so th these are all accomplishments in public safety. Are there things that need to be changed and, and tweaked? Of course, we're always, any new legislation, anything important that happens in the state, including cannabis legislation, including, you know, most of the things that we've done that are really big, of course, you're always tweaking all the way along the way. Uh, but I, I must say that it's very important for us for public safety to do many of the things that are in the Safety Act. And, and so no thought of altering the pretrial fairness cash bail end timeline? Again, those are things I think that will be taken up in a new session and you know, can be considered. The governor had a speech in New Hampshire in recent days, fueling a lot of speculation as to whether he was considering a 2024 presidential run. A lot of reporters had asked him about it, so I decided to phrase the question in a different way. All right, everyone's asked you about the presidential race. Have you discussed it with your wife? <laughs> um, look, I'm not talking about running for president. I'm talking about running for governor, and it's what I'm focused on. I really do believe that, you know, I love the state, and I love the job that I have, and I believe there's a lot more to get done. I mean, you wouldn't look at me and say that Illinois doesn't have more to get done. I'm focused on accomplishing things that I think will lift up people, especially those who've been left out and left behind, but also just middle-class families that have been hurt by a recession and the challenges of COVID. Okay, so quickly on COVID, June 24th, you extended the disaster declaration. Looks like we're approaching endemic. Is there any thought as to when you will be out of the disaster declaration? Jerry, I do want to give you a broader perspective on this because I know that the Republicans want to focus on disaster declaration. We have significantly reduced the number of things that fall under our executive orders with regard to COVID. In fact, if you look back every month, a little bit less, a little bit less, we're ramping down things. Some of them are hugely important to keep people safe even now. And we're not entirely out of the pandemic. So, so we want to make sure that we're helping people as we ramp down the executive orders, et cetera. Most importantly, what we've done has worked. We've kept thousands of people alive who otherwise would have passed away. As compared to all of the Midwestern states, we've really done quite well. In fact, we're one of the best in the most important categories, keeping people alive, keeping people out of the hospital, making sure people get vaccinated. Uh, that's all been part of the effort. And it's taken, you know, a lot of effort. I mean, this was an emergency. This was something that's um, very important for everybody in the state. Uh, that we took, that I took charge and made sure that we got these things done. Um, I think we've succeeded in that. I think the vast majority of people in Illinois understand that we've succeeded in that. And uh, and I, I, you know, I think that the focus on, uh, you know, you know, the, the lawsuits, for example, that all have failed, um, you know, that have used the kinds of things you just mentioned as a basis for those laws. They've all failed. They're all of them. The only lawsuit that that succeeded. Uh, that Darren Bailey brought was to take himself out of the mitigations. Just one person, Darren Bailey. So that's the state of the governor's race as of July 1st. We'll have plenty of more on Pritzker and Bailey and other statewide races as we move closer to November. You can follow along at CapitalNewsIllinois.com. This has been the latest edition of CapitalCast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. As always, thank you for listening.